Dear listeners, welcome back to ITS Podcast. This is episode 73, March 2023. I'm Mariam Kavishka from MW University, India. In this episode, we have Barish, who will give us some interesting news from our ITS field. And after that, you can just enjoy my discussion with our special guest. We had a very interactive talk with Joao Barros, who is the Chief Platform Officer at Nexar. Go ahead, Barish. Hello, dear listeners. This is Barish presenting following news in the field of ITS for the ITS podcast. In this episode, we bring you some of the latest news and developments on intelligent transport and autonomous driving. Zoox Robotaxi begins public road tests. Amazon-owned automated vehicle company Zoox began testing on public roads for the first time in California. For now, the Robotaxis will only be available to Zoox employees. Zook received its driverless testing permit from the California Department of Motor Vehicles to operate the robotaxi autonomously on public roads with Zook's employees as passengers. The autonomous robotaxi is capable of transporting up to four people at a time on a one-mile public route between Zook's two buildings at their headquarters, with a speed of up to 35 miles per hour. Motional starts nighttime robotaxi service in Las Vegas. Motional will start offering ride-hailing service in Las Vegas also at nighttime. The company have been carrying passengers in daytime since August 2022. Motional vehicles have driven more than 2 million autonomous miles and conducted over 125,000 public rides without an at-fault accident, according to the company. A motional employee monitors a robotaxi through the company's remote vehicle assistance platform and can assist AVs remotely. Luminar and Mercedes-Benz expand partnership. Luminar announced an expansion of its partnership with Mercedes-Benz across a broad range of next-generation production vehicle lines. Mercedes-Benz plans to offer a new conditionally automated driving system that can operate at higher speed for freeways as well as for enhanced driver assistance systems for urban environments. As part of the deal, Mercedes-Benz will incorporate the next version of Luminar's Iris Leader into the new automated driving system of future Mercedes models. BMW Group and Valeo to co-develop Level 4 Automated Parking BMW Group and Valeo announced their cooperation for the co-development of fully automated parking technologies up to Level 4. Functions such as automated maneuver assistance to Level 4 Automated Valley Parking will be based on technology and sensors in the car. Infrastructure-based services will also be developed to experience fully automated parking and charging in enabled public parking facilities and sites. Thank you for listening to the mini-news section of the ITS podcast. We will continue to bring you more news of breakthrough advances in our field in the upcoming episodes. Thank you, Barish. With the start of Robotaxis, the city will look different and we will be one step closer to autonomous vehicles. That was Barish Chauhan from the Technical University of Berlin. Usually this is a time for our book review. However, Haluk will not be with us today. We are deeply sad for what happened in Turkey. Both tangible and intangible effects of earthquake are devastating. For this episode, we have our special guest, Joao Barros, who is the chief platform officer at Nexar. What they have created is very interesting and he will be explaining it in detail. Today we have a very special guest, Joao Barros. Jao Bars is the Chief Platform Officer at Nexar, former founder and CEO of Avenium. 
And Professor Kater Datiko means on leave of electrical and computer engineering at the University of Porto, Portugal. He was founding director of Instituto de Comunicacia in Porto, which grew from 8 to 100 researchers during his six-year tenure. Joao was also a Fulbright Scholar twice and has held visiting appointments at MIT, Stanford, Cornell, and Carnegie Mellon. He regularly advises the Porto Business School and served on the board of Streambolico, a Wi-Fi multicast company he co-founded. He received his undergraduate education in ECE from the uh, University of Porto, Portugal, and University of Karlsruhe, Germany, a performing art degree in flute from Music Conservatory of Porto and a PhD degree in EE and IT from the Technical University of München, Germany. That's the reason that he knows a few languages fluently. He is here today with us as our special guest to share his experience. Joe, welcome to ITS Podcast. I give a short introduction about you. Would you like to add anything? Well, thank you so much, Mariam. It's truly a pleasure. And uh, particularly also as a, a newly appointed IEEE fellow, I'm also delighted to be, you know, uh, talking with the IEEE ITS community. Now, so, Zhao, I, I know that uh, you have received uh, several awards, including 2010 IEEE Comsoc Young Researcher Award. Is that yeah, very right? true? Yes. Yes. And mm -hmm. you are a member of IEEE. I am, and 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 uh, uh, it's it's been uh, you know just a wonderful journey within the IEEE to be able to meet such wonderful people and and learn so much about so many different things. So IEEE is my professional home for sure. Thank you so much. So um, let's start with Nexar. Can you explain uh, to all the listeners what is Nexar and what is it about? Absolutely. So Nexar was co-founded by Ran Shear and uh, Bruno uh, Fernandez Ruiz. And their vision from the beginning was to make mobility safer for everyone by enabling vehicles to see the roads and share with each other what they see. Today, Nexar is the number one consumer uh, dash cam in the United States. Uh, so we have 700,000 uh, cameras worldwide from which we receive you know, images and videos and a lot of data that is collected uh, using uh, AI algorithms on the one hand to protect our drivers and their vehicles, uh, and on the other hand to map the world and become the, the real-time mapping platform uh, for future mobility. On your website, I saw that you call them uh, some sort of uh, AI-powered dash cam. What is this AI-powered dash cam? What's the use of this exactly? So in the first instance, from a customer perspective, you have a dash cam in your car that basically has a camera pointing to the road and a camera pointing inside. And this camera is intelligent because it's able to detect events. It knows, uh, you know, if there was a hard break or uh, even if there was a, an accident or a collision, and it can immediately send uh, a short video that allows you to reconstruct the collision uh, and figure out, you know, what happened, you know, within a very short period of time. But moreover, the camera is also intelligent because it's not just collecting images, it's actually analyzing them at the edge. So it's able to detect uh, this is a stop sign. There's a work zone over there. Look, there's a free parking spot. All of that is detected at the edge 
uh, these detections then are sent to the cloud and we are able to build services on top of that so that uh, mobility becomes not only safer, but also easier and more sustainable. That's understandable, but I would like you know your opinion how AI and edge technology can enable safer AV driving. Let's say the same technology that you were discussing right now. Yeah, so AI uh, essentially, you know, uh, is, a, is a very broad category of algorithms uh, that uh, basically make sense of uh, the images and the videos that, that uh, we are uh, collecting. And so when you have uh, that ability to basically uh, be able to detect all of the different uh, road objects, you're able to build maps that are, uh, you know, 10 times more accurate uh, and detailed than the maps that we have today. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, if you think about the digital maps that we use, they have been designed for human beings that uh, are able to, you know, go from a 2D map to, uh, you know, a 3D representation because we're essentially seeing the world. Now, vehicles are becoming more and more about software. Navigation is becoming more and more about software. Driving is becoming more and more automated. And the maps that you need for the software defined vehicle require this level of accuracy, this level of precision, this level of detail. And so AI is a tool for us to develop new maps uh, and in particularly also new real-time maps that are able to capture you know, what is happening uh, instantly uh, to enable vehicles to make safer and better decisions uh, while either assisting the driver or even driving themselves. So this AI-powered dash cams, they are sending their information to cloud. Or uh, is there any direct uh, connectivity for control system in the car as well, based on the data that they are gathering from the road? So in the future, all vehicles are going to come out with the cameras and there will be, you know, a connection between what you're seeing and the control. This is already happening in high-end vehicles and a number of vehicles when you, uh, when you see uh, even mass production vehicles that are already able to detect lanes and stay on lane and, and help the driver stay on lane. These, th these are examples of how, you know, AI algorithms are being used to analyze images inside of the car and connected tightly to the vehicle control. We do a combination of both, which is we do detections at the edge and then make smart decisions of what do we send to the cloud and what we process locally. Uh, and the key really is that uh, for maps in particular, what we want is to detect changes to the road. So what is changing? And, and, and that's basically uh, what our platform is capable of doing is constantly analyzing uh, oh, there's a stop sign now here. It wasn't here before. Or this speed limit, you, you know, from 9 to 11 a.m. is different from, uh, you know, midnight to 2 a.m. And uh, I'm able to figure it out intelligently and feed that into my navigation systems, into, uh, you know, all of the mobility services that build on top of this map and this uh, real-time information. That's great. So uh, the data that you're gathering from uh, these dash cams, how secure it would be? Or uh, let's say I'm talking more from the point of view of privacy of the vehicle or the driver. Is there any concern in different countries or uh, areas about this? 
So different countries have different policies, but most of all, we have our own standards and we take uh, the security and privacy of all our users very, very seriously. And uh, what we do is we anonymize the data uh, at the edge and we strictly separate between data that uh, our user wants to have and for, for its own benefit. For example, if I'm in an accident with my dash cam, I want to be able to see the video of my accident. And so that is kept separately in, in the cloud and protected so that uh, nobody can access that uh, in, in information except uh, me uh, and uh, my insurance company if I decide to share the video with my insurance company. At the same time, there's lots and lots and lots of information that is useful for everyone collectively that we want to pull together like uh parking spots, where are parking spots or uh, work zones. I want to avoid them when I'm driving uh, in different uh, speed limits or stop signs that are really relevant for all of us to be able to you know, comply with, with regulation. So that type of information is anonymized and pulled together so that we build a view of the world uh, you know, that everybody can benefit from. Uh, and so the way that we address your your question, Mariam, of, of privacy is by keeping these two data uses strictly separated and making sure that we do all the blurring and anonymization and cropping of the images that is necessary to preserve the privacy. So in an initial step is blurring all the faces and all the number plates and so on. Uh, and you can go as far as just cropping the parts that have uh, a stop sign, for example, and and not uploading anything else. Mm, that that is interesting. That was one of the main concerns that I had, and uh, it brings me to the next question. Uh, so far, you have data from which countries? I saw on your website uh, from the US. But uh, do you have other places, or the US is the first place that started the application? Yes, the U.S. was the first market, and in fact, uh, you know, our vehicles see 94% of uh, U.S. roads as streets at least once a month. Uh, in some areas, like dense urban areas, Manhattan, you we see the same locations uh, every few minutes. And and just to give you an idea of the magnitude, we're collecting three billion miles of uh, road data per year. And this is just you know the beginning. As more and more vehicles have cameras, the the, the quantities of data are just absolutely astronomical. Uh, we also have a, a large footprint in Japan. Uh, where we also have the benefit of uh, accessing images of cameras that are not uh, Nexar cameras. So we are building this broader ecosystem where some of the eyes on the road are from uh, Nexar, uh, but others uh, are actually using our software at the edge and we're able to pull that data together and, and benefit from that as well. Uh, and right now, in fact, we're uh, expanding this platform ecosystem also to uh, other countries around the world. The data base that you are talking about is massive. You know, I, I, I'm just thinking that uh, how cities or manufacturers can utilize this real-time data to minimize traffic, navigate construction projects, and all. How how it can happen? Or the other question that I might want to ask: that uh, who will have access? to that massive data that is gathering. Like you said, in New York, you are gathering it every minute, right? Every minute you are receiving some new... Yeah, no, in fact, we upload every 15 seconds. We upload <laughs> uh, images from, from, from certain locations. And in fact, we can even increase the sampling rates. So if there's 
interest from some city, for example, over a period of time to gather data, we're able to increase the amount of data that we collect in that specific location. So to your question of, of who, obviously, uh, you know, there is already a, a, a vibrant industry that is capturing data of the real world. Uh, think of uh, companies like TomTom here and so on that are basically the map box that build the maps that are used in so many apps and uh, also by vehicles and in navigation. Today, what is really different about uh, Nexar is that uh, uh, scale of data that we're able to pick up because we basically turn every vehicle into mapping vehicles. Mm -hmm. So not just, you know, Google Street View car uh, once a year goes by your street, but actually it's all these vehicles, Uber uh, drivers, fleet vehicles, consumers that are uh, basically passing uh, by. And so we are able to offer this data to a very broad range of companies and organizations. So let me give you a few examples. So we mentioned auto OEMs. So they need this type of information for automated driving. Uh, for example, speed limits is the simplest example you need to know to be able to control the, the, the speed. Then in, in terms of municipalities, we work with data platforms where uh, for, they provide uh, cities, for example, with evidence of certain work zones that are operating in certain locations without permits so that uh, you're able to uh, verify compliance. And so that type of data pl platforms require a lot of different types of uh, data that we're able to collect as well. Then there's the mapping companies themselves to produce the next generation of uh, maps. So they're interested in all the different detections that we're able to make to keep the maps uh, up to date. We noticed that, uh, you know, OpenStreetMaps, which is uh, uh, widely uh, used, you know, uh, has a very high imprecision on the, in certain locations, we did a pilot, for example, in Phoenix, where we were able to show that we're able to capture much more information that is correct to be able to update open street maps. Uh, so that would be another segment of uh, the industry. But then ultimately, you know, our, our goal is, to, is not just to provide specific data products. We're actually developing a platform that has APIs that other so application programming interfaces that others basically can uh, can use. And so I, I think lots of people will come up with application and use cases that we haven't even thought of. Yeah, that, that's uh, what I was going to ask. Is it possible, for example, for researchers? Because many of our listeners are researchers or uh, experts in autonomous vehicle or smart transportation. Um, universities as some sort of organization, can they access uh, part of this data? Yeah, we'll co we collaborate with a number of uh, universities directly. Uh, and in fact, uh, anyone can go on the uh, on our web mapping website, so mapping.getnexar.com, and find our CityStream Live uh, playground, uh, which uh, essentially anyone can access. You just enter your data, you get a user account, and then you can navigate and see all the detections in real time. And you can even uh, zoom in to New York, uh, which where we give full you know access and visibility to uh, what is happening there, and then um, in terms of data sets uh, throughout the years, Nexar has participated actively and published also actively in uh, scientific uh, conferences. And so we're always open for, for collaboration that enables the advancement of this area. 
No, that is fantastic. It's a good news for our listeners uh, that if they want to, uh, if they find some application for this, they can go to the website. I share the website uh, with all of you, our uh, podcast listeners, and you can uh, take a look at it and use it if it is necessary. My question is that this post-processing, let's say, on the images happens where exactly? On your side, or uh, it has to be done by the person who wants to use that uh, data for a specific you know, purpose? So there are several different ways to uh, to use our data. Uh, so some customers just uh, require detections. And so they want to know, oh, there's an accident there. There's a, So think uh, something like Waze, but, uh, you know, uh, fully automated. So it doesn't require any human to upload any type of detection. So the cameras are seeing it, you know, and uh, uploading it. And so we create a Twitter-like feed of detections of things that, hey, there's a work zone in downtown Detroit. There's an accident on uh, IS. Uh, 25 there's and 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 that's just constantly rolling as a live feed and that's one way to consume the data you can just then parse these uh, or separate these detections as as uh, it fits you and add it to your maps or to your apps as uh, as it fits you so that's one way of that let's say a very raw way to do it another one is to say hey i'm mapping a map and there's this whole region where uh, my level of confidence about the information is very low then you can give nexar coordinates of regions, so latitudes and longitudes, and we're able to provide map information, but also visual evidence. So we're able to show, hey, not only uh, was there a stop sign here, here's a picture with the stop sign when we saw it. And we're able to say we saw this stop sign 25 times over the last, uh, you know, 24 hours and verify that. And in fact, we use that even to improve the localization because GPS is not very precise and you can use image techniques to improve the precision of GPS. Then other ways to just access uh, the data is is then actually to acquire an entire map layer on, on, on top. So we don't do complete maps, but we do map layers of uh, things that uh, uh, our customers are interested in. One, for example, is behavioral maps, mm-hmm. which is to say, how do human drivers typically drive in this location or that location? This can be used to train autonomous vehicles. Uh, this can be used uh, to make uh, also recommendations for driver assistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a layer on top of a, of a map in a certain location. It can be used for injury prevention as well, uh, I believe. So these data, I believe now that some of them, or at least uh, most of them, they are geotagged. Uh, we know that. Yes, so that- absolutely. Yeah, so uh, based on ge- that geotagging, we can we can use the data for our application and whatever it is. The question that I have: What is the technology in your dashcam? Are you are you on a stereo cam, or you already have moved to mono cameras? So we have uh, uh, cameras that are specifically designed for the traffic scenarios. So they have a wide enough lens to be able to capture, you know, the the full picture. And then inside, they also uh, are able to capture the entire interior of the vehicle. Um, This is relevant, for example, for rideshare. Uh, like Ubers and Lyfts and so on, also for safety, uh, that you uh, you know uh, have a full picture of what's happening inside of the of of the vehicle. But one important aspect to 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 mention is that uh, we have several generations of cameras, and we keep improving. So the last one, the XR One which is fully connected, has LTE, uh, Wi-Fi, uh, all, all of the abilities to connect. It, it 
not just you know uh, through the iPhone of the user, but actually connect the camera itself uh, automatically. So that part of the uh, connectivity is very uh, important uh, as well. The camera's quality keep improving from model to model. Uh, so we have some new ones coming up that we will announce later in the year. That's great. We will look forward to it. You know that at the moment, uh, as much as I understood, there's those different uh, dash cams that they are used. They are AR and the data is sent to cloud for later usage or application. Are you planning to connect the camera to control system of uh, any of these conceptual or already uh, manufactured autonomous vehicles? I mean, at next oh, I'm talking about. So we work uh, directly with uh, several of the leading companies in the autonomous vehicle space. And uh, there's certainly a lot of interest, not just in using, say, collision videos to, to train the vehicles to avoid collisions and things like that, but actually on these future systems that have an interplay between the vehicle and, uh, uh, and, and the cloud. We are, you know, very committed, though, to make data, this type of data and this type of information accessible for mobility, not just as it's going to be in the future, but as it is today, so modern mobility. Um, and and for that, uh, it's really important to reduce the unit cost of acquiring processing and, and making this data actionable. Um, and that's where edge computing comes in and is so important because then by moving the AI models to the edge and and being able to uh, then process the data uh, lo locally, we reduce the latency. We're able to save on connectivity just for the data that really has to go to the cloud. And we're in enabling vehicles to make smarter decisions because we're able to provide a lot more information for the same cost than was previously possible. And so this whole uh, question of unit economics is really, really important uh, for, for not just for AVs, but for today's vehicles and today's fleets. Uh, that's very interesting. I uh, looked at the huge number of patents and publications that you had, and uh, I saw that one of the fields that you were uh, very pretty much active in it was, you know, communication for mobile vehicles or moving objects. And uh, so I think in this case, we don't have any latency and that uh, problem of the moving objects and communication is solved uh, when uh, vehicles are moving and uh, they have to in real time send the data to the cloud, right? Well, actually, you know, the the internet is becoming uh, more and more mobile, as we know. But the infrastructure up until now has become quite is, is still quite centralized. If you think about it, your smartphone, your laptop, it's connecting to a fixed access point. So either uh, the base station of a cellular carrier or the Wi-Fi wi access point. So those are still fixed. Um, and I think what, what we're seeing, though, is that uh, as vehicles and have more and more wireless interfaces, they're able to connect directly also uh, to each other via Wi-Fi uh, or via V2X technologies and so on. Um, and our vision is to uh, enable this mesh uh, network to share this data vehicle to vehicle, either directly or via you know the infrastructure in, in a way that everyone gets the data they need at the right time uh, with the right precision the right freshness 
and and so on. And so the connectivity infrastructure and the AI and um, all the, the uh, applications on top of it, they go together. Uh, they have to be thought together in, in terms of the platform. And, and so we then tried to make this very easy to use by having an SDK, so a software development kit that provides APIs that abstract away from all these complexities that are happening uh, underneath and, and make it easier for researchers and software developers to build applications on top of it. That's great. So uh, I, I would like to ask you one final question, which I ask all the researchers in this field. What <laughs> do you think about the future of autonomous vehicles? Will we have them someday soon on our roads? So I, I think uh, often we uh, forget that the, the road for bringing technologies from the lab, the research lab, to everyday life of, and improving the lives of everyday people um, is uh, uh, a combination of technical solutions and public policies and social aspects and regulation and business models and pricing. And so having been a university researcher before and having started companies and launched products, I, I over the last 10 years or so, I acquired a deeper appreciation for uh, all the creativity that has to go into finding the right business models, finding the right public policies, finding the right regulations, besides solving the technical issues. And so to give a specific answer to your question, uh, I believe that the way forward for autonomous vehicles is uh, the one that uh, has been uh, implemented, for example, in Singapore, which is to define districts where you only have autonomous vehicles and basically uh, reduce the complexity of uh, the problem of, of of having you know autonomous vehicles have to deal with human drivers. I think uh, one of the hurdles is obviously besides the fact that human drivers can be reckless um, and and autonomous vehicles cannot afford to be reckless. Constrained environment at the yeah. moment. So, so that is one that is one aspect. Um, and then the, the 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 other one is that also uh, from a business perspective, if you think about robo taxis, because autonomous vehicles are more careful, uh, they are also slower. And so people may not be willing to, you know, pay for an autonomous vehicle if it takes them, you know, 20%, 30% longer to get to the same uh, place, even if, uh, you know, they're probably more secure than um, in a taxi with uh, uh, or a shared vehicle with a driver, a human driver. Uh, and so I think that isolating the problem by having, you know, parts of the city where uh, it's shared autonomous mobility. I think the shared is really important also from a sustainability perspective. So shared autonomous vehicles in certain areas and then expand these uh, areas further. I think this is happening faster than, than, than uh, we realize. In, in European cities, it's becoming more and more common to push you know, carbon emitting vehicles out of the inner parts of the city um, and so I think uh, policy-wise, we're going in that direction. So I do think that we will eventually have uh, autonomous mobility. I think the path will likely go by starting in, in uh, more constrained environments and then gradually opening up rather than trying to force autonomous vehicles to have to deal with today's roads and today's human drivers. That, that is true. 
Thank you so much, Zhao, for uh, explaining so many interesting things about your work, about your projects, and about your company. I just want to add uh, for our listeners also that, as uh, Zhao explained, autonomous vehicle and their technology is really a multidisciplinary talk from many different aspects, from uh, finance, from uh, job security, and technology altogether. I would like to thank you for accepting our invitation and being with us, and I would like to ask you if you would like to Uh, add anything to whatever we discussed so far? I think your final word was exactly right. I think we need a lot of creativity, both on the technical side and on the public public policy side and regulation, but also very much on the business side. And that's what I would love to highlight is that uh, in the end, uh, it's about building platforms that operate in a very complex ecosystem. And you have to have a value proposition for the uh, automaker, for the uh, infrastructure owner, for the city uh, that has to look after its uh, citizens. Um, and so what uh, we're trying to do is, is really providing uh, data that is fresh, precise, actionable in, in a way that uh, uh, makes it easier for all these interactions between the different members of the mobility ecosystem to uh, uh, yeah, bring not just more safety, but also uh, more sustainability. I think uh, the last thing on my mind really uh, for today is really emphasize that uh, this is critical also for everything that we have to do uh, for future generations and our Mm -hmm. planet. So thank you very much for the opportunity, Mariam. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Al. I hope we meet in person soon and I hope our listeners will contact you to use the data. Thank you so much. Please do. Thank you. Thank you. We have shared the link to Nexar. Please feel free to learn about their products and services or just drop them an email if you have any questions. Dear listeners, ITS Podcast is looking for volunteers to cover some stories or participate on their own terms. If you're interested to join us and being a voice of ITS or preparing some material, send us an email with a short resume. Dear listeners, we would like to hear back from you. If you have any idea to add or any specific field of research to cover, write to us. Let us know. Thank you for being with us. This podcast is sponsored by IEEE Intelligent Transportation System Society. And this was Dr. Mariam Kavishkar from IEEE ITS Society.